against Christianity. It is real. It is happening. It's not just to say that you live in Australia and nothing is happening here that threatens your life, that there's not a war going on. There is a war going on, and it is against Christians. It is against us. And if I say Christian, I just want to qualify. Not everybody under the cross is Christians. Not everybody. When I talk about Christians, I talk about the blood-washed children of God. I'm talking about those who follow Jesus Christ and Him alone. No other. No other. It is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. The Bible says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. No one else. Just Jesus. That is what you call Christians, Christ follower. And I need to make that clear. Now, when I'm going to talk today about this, I want you to know one thing, is that we do not, as children of God, wish ill on anybody. I don't. I don't. I look at people, and there's a lot of people's names, and we as, as people, as humans, should not wish ill on anybody. It amazes me sometimes when you hear in churches and they talk about the war on Christians, how hateful they are against people. We don't. We don't wish people to have bad luck in their lives. We don't wish people to die. Whoa, that's bad. We don't wish people to break a leg. You know that one? Oh, I wish you break a leg. We don't. And when I'm going to preach today, I want to make the disclaimer, there is no ill feeling in my heart if I mention people's names here today. No ill feeling. In fact, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for their salvation. Because while they are still alive, and while you are still alive, and while you breathe, and while there's still color in your eyes, there is hope for you, if you are not saved, to come to the saving cross. And even that person that you sit here today and now thinking about, right now, you sit there and you think about somebody who you dislike. In, in fact, in fact, you dislike him so or her so much that you actually say that you hate that person. I'm talking about that as well. You know, we, we wish no ill upon people. And when I talk about this today, we're going to see the war against Christianity. And I didn't pick this topic because I've got a chip on my shoulder. I haven't picked that because of the elections that went on. I didn't pick this because of, you know, Putin. I didn't pick this. You know me. I'm preaching through the book of Acts, aren't I? And here we come now in Acts chapter 12, and we're going to see literally a war against Christianity. But I'm also going to use this opportunity to address a few things which is even happening in our world. So first of all, let me just say, that the reactions against a war or is always that some people will immediately claim the victim card. Isn't that right? The victim card. Oh, me. why is the whole world against me? You know, it's me. And, and there's a lot of Christians. There's a lot of Christians who walk around with the victim card around their necks. If they talk to you, they say, oh, the world don't like me. Oh, oh, the world is persecuting me. Oh, the, oh, that person don't like me because I'm a Christian. Is that right? Am I right or wrong? No, no, that's the victim card. We don't walk around with a victim card. People love to be victimized. You just go around the world now and you listen, you turn on your TV set, you listen to the news overseas. There's all these groups, you know, culture groups coming out. We are the victims. 
you know, there's bias against us. All of the, no, no, we don't walk in a, in a victim card. A child of God should never walk in a victim card around your neck. Listen to me, church. In this church, you should never walk with a victim card around your neck because Jesus Christ gave us victory. You're not a victim. There's two V's here. You're the victor. Amen. Oh, but you don't know what that girl said about me. You don't know what those people said about me. They are gossiping about me. Don't make yourself the victim. Make yourself the victor in Jesus Christ. Amen? But there's always this that people will do. They take the victim card. And then you get some people, they fight with all of their might. That's what happens in a war, isn't it? They fight with all of their might. And now you find churches who fight they want to fight every single thing. They want to fight the government. Let's just fight everything. Let's jump in there. Let's let our voices be heard. Nothing wrong with that, but there's a stage for that. But there's always these people who want to make the church militant, the militant church. You know, we should get up in arms. We should get up there and march in front. And we should have all of your placards. And, you know, we should shout out and we should do all of these things. The Bible says we should not do that. I might shock you today, and there's a might of few people here today who's going to go, what? Yes, I'm preaching the word of God. What did Jesus say? Did he say that we should go and fight the governments? No, he did not say that. He says, go and make, go and make disciples. That's what he said. Go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them. To do what? To go and make disciples, to baptize, and to teach them. To do what? To go and make disciples, to baptize, and to teach, to do what? Can, shall I go on? You are with me today. Yes. So he gave us that instruction. So a lot of people in a lot of churches put all of their efforts, and they hype their people up, and they say, we're going to do this. Man, if you want to do that, God bless your heart. I'm going to be here preaching the gospel. And, and this is what happens. A lot of people fight with all of their might. But then, then there are those who trust God to fight the fight. Hallelujah. Those who trust God to fight. And, and by the way, if I say this, it's not only churches. There's always individuals as well. Somebody do you wrong and you go, man, I'm going to get them back. You know, you, you tell me and I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. You, you touch me and I touch you back twice. You hit me on this side, I hit you back on that side. There's children of God who talk like that. Don't look at me like this. This, this is Christians I'm talking to. We expect these things from the world, but we don't expect it in the church, do we? But the, in the church, it's happening. Uh, have you heard about fights in the church? And, and, you know, these people were so friends. For 20 years, they were friends. Then something happened, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, one grabs the victim card in this fight, and the other one just wants to fight the whole time. And I'm going to send them this email. If they see this email, man, I'm going to tell them all that I've got got in my heart in this email and that email goes over to the victim and the victim go oh there you see you see they, they all just pounding down on me let me get back at them now and this is happening all along isn't it there's not a lot of amens today there's a war 
against Christianity. There's a war against you as well. And there's three reactions today. Victim card, fight with all might, and there's those who trust God to fight the fight. I'm always reminded of this scripture verse in Isaiah 64 verse 4, and I've given it so many times in ministry that I had the privilege to minister to people. I, had it so, I give it to so many people, but they don't want to hear what the word of God says. They come to me and they tell me their story so that the pastor can pick a side. Yeah? Pick a side. The victim comes to me and tells me all about how they were victimized. And yeah, now you need to pick my side and say that I'm right and they're wrong. And then the guys who wants to fight come to me and they tell their side of the story. And they go, now you've got to pick our side. To be, you know, we fought. Isn't it right, Pastor? Yeah, right. And I go, let me just read to you out of Isaiah 64 verse 4. He says, for since the beginning, since the beginning of the world, men have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you. You. who everybody listen now who acts for the one who waits for him but you see people don't want to wait <laughs> we live in a fast society don't we we go to mcdonald's and angry jacks and all of these places and we want to get the answer right now you pick aside but those who wait upon the lord he acts god acts for the one who waits for him. Who remembers what, I think it's Exodus 14, 14. It's just a scripture jumps up in my mind. Exodus 14, 14. Check me up if you want to. But he says, you know when the nation came and all of these Egyptians were chasing them down and they came to the Red Sea and they go, oh, we're going to die today. What shall we do? Shall we play the victim card? Shall we fight? Or what shall we do? And it says in Exodus 14, 14, he says, God will fight on your behalf. Who's got it open? Just read it with a loud voice, Jackie. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That's it. That's it. I like that verse. The Lord shall do what? Come on, church. The Lord shall do what? And you shall hold your peace. That's two opposites here, isn't it? War and peace. God says, who will fight? He will fight. And what should you do? Hold your peace. There we go. The God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Who waits for him because God will intercede for you. Now, now be very clear here today that if you're in the wrong and you ask for God to help you, he will correct you. Because have you noticed that you might be the one in the wrong here? You might be the one who say, oh Lord, you know all of this stuff and I'm going to fight them. And the Lord pushes his finger on you and he says, but you're the wrong one. What should you do? Ouch. Sorry, Lord. I repent. <laughs> but this is so wonderful if you wait upon the Lord, wait upon him. I can tell you many cases in my life where I just wanted to go out. And so many times I've done it. I've, I've learned that lesson, sadly. And you just go in your mouth off and after you've said it, you go, oops. That was the wrong thing. <laughs> is it only me or is there a few of you as well? Only one or two, yes. I shouldn't have said that, but word spoken is word spoken. Who knows that? It's, it's already out. Now, let me get into the word this morning, but I want to warn you right now, okay? There's a, there's a big warning for you. Warning. <coughs> the 
the alarm is going off now. I hope you're sitting. I hope you're holding on to your seat. If you chew on something, just make sure that you don't, you know, when you get a shock, what I'm going to show you now. Everybody, it is a warning. Don't. I've warned you. Don't turn away afterwards and say, no, you didn't warn us. But I want to show you this picture. <laughs> I did warn you, didn't I? So there's a war going on against Christianity. And it is said, and this is well known for people in this church, it says here, a premier's crusade against Christianity. Who knows there's a crusade from this man against Christianity? Does everybody know that? And uh, it says there, the Victorian premier, Daniel Andrews, runs the most... Where's my glasses? You see, it's too small. I'm going to read it. I want to read it. It says, he runs the most dedicated and consistent anti-Christian government in Australian history. And I must admit with that, that is true. That is true. If you see what's going on and what he's saying and all of these things. Now, I, I, want, to, I want to repeat what I'm saying. You know, I don't wish any person ill health, okay? Not even this man. I don't wish him ill health. It might shock you. You might sit there and you go, the first feeling that comes inside of me is hate. Well, let me just tell you, hate is not a feeling, it's a decision, okay? I just want to throw it out there. But there's a lot of people, you know, I pray for this man's soul. I do. I do pray for him. I say, Lord, save his soul. You know, he's foolish. He's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what's coming. It's, I don't want to, I do not want to get what he's going to get. And I, and I don't wish it upon him. I don't. I'm not his buddy. I'm not supporting what he's saying. You know, if I say this, I cut out already half of the Christians. If there's going to be Christian churches, listen to me online right now, they're going to turn it off at this point. Oh, he's a Dan Andrews lover. You know, I'm a Dan. What, what's that slogan? Dan. I'm for Dan or something. I'm not. Yes, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying it. But I also don't hate this man. I must say this. I choose. I can't, you know. So this is one thing I do want to say. This man is on a crusade. And I'm going to now unpack for you in the book of Acts why I feel very sorry for this man. For these terrible things coming his way. Which I don't wish, but it's coming. If. If he doesn't turn to the cross and repent publicly. Publicly. This is terrible. It is it's hard. And I hope this church prays for him. Because within that man is a soul. Which God made. Not you. God made that soul. This man is deceived. He doesn't know it. But he's deceived. Now he may be willfully deceived. But God is going to deal with that. I'm not, I'm not on a crusade against him. And in fact, I think it's the first time that I publicly preach his name in this church. Am I with you? Are you with me here? Have I done it before? But the reason why I use that is because I feel pity for this. You see that face looks like a spiteful face? It looks to me like a pitiful face. And I feel in my heart for him and his family. You see, there were other men, and, and, and this is what he doesn't, wouldn't like to read. There was a man called Voltaire. Who remembers this man? He was an atheist, okay? He was an atheist, a famous anti-Christian atheist. Well, he was more so against the Roman Catholic Church as Christians, but within his heart, he didn't believe in God. I, I love it to look at people's most famous last words, and this is what this man said on his deathbed. He says, I've swallowed nothing but smoke. I've intoxicated myself with the incense that turned my head. 
I'm abandoned by God and man. That's a terrible place to be. Abandoned by God. He said to his physician, his doctor, he says, I will give you half of what I am worth if you will only give me six months to live. When he was told this is not possible, he said, then I shall die and go to hell. What a terrible, terrible thing to say, even for this man. A terrible thing to say. This is why I say, I say to you, brothers and sisters, I feel sorry. I feel pitiful for this man. Because if he can learn from this man, he will know that he will go to hell. His nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. All night long, he cried for forgiveness. All night long. I don't know whether the Lord heard him. You don't as well. You can't sit here and say, this man wouldn't be in heaven. Nobody can. I can't. He cried for forgiveness. Did he find it? I don't know. One day we will. Let me tell you about this man, Napoleon Bonaparte. Who remember this man? Yeah, very French emperor who, 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 who conquered the world, who conquered the world. He says, I die before my time and my body will be given back to the earth. He's right. His body's going back. Everybody's sitting in this place. If the Lord tarries to come, your body will go back to the earth. He's right. He says, such is the fate of him who has been called for the great Napoleon. Such a big, you know, he's so big and full of himself. What an abyss between my deep misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ. This man says there's an abyss between his misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ. That's actually biblical. Did you know that? What he said there, this man, somehow I think he had some kind of influence from Christianity. Somehow he did. Because he uses these right things. My body will go back to the earth. He didn't talk about reincarnation. He says there's an abyss between the deep misery and eternal kingdom. Now, let me just say to you, if you die today without Christ, you will find yourself in this deep misery. I'm talking to you in this church today and for those who listen to me online. If you die today without Christ, you will find you where Napoleon Bonaparte may be, may be as well. You can go and say hi to him, but you wouldn't want to because you'll be in misery. You see, because the Bible talks about this already. Listen in Luke chapter 16, verse 24. If you want to open up your Bible, you can go there. In Luke 16, 24, and then he cried, and he said, this is the rich young man. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. It might as well have been Napoleon who shouted these words. You know, he says, have misery on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in this flame. You see, this man shouts, he says, I'm in deep misery, and there's an abyss between this and the kingdom of Christ. Luke chapter 16 verse 26, and besides all of the, Abram talks now to this rich young man. He says, besides all this, between us, which is Abram and the beggar and you, the rich young man, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from us to you. Is that where you want to go? My brother said we need to preach the truth in spirit, and we're doing it today. When you are sitting here today and you are without Christ, you are not born again. Brothers and sisters, 
Dear friend, sir, madam, whatever you want to be called, I'll tell you this today. If you are without Christ, you will have fellowship there with these people. But if you are in Christ and you are saved by the blood of the Lamb and you die today, you will open up your eyes in heaven with Christ. Not down there where Abraham was, by the way, because that place is empty. That's a different sermon. I've preached it each online. One more, one more, and then we'll get back to Acts. Who knows Anton LaVey? Who knows him? He was the man who opened up the church of the devil, Satan's church. He's him, the founder of the satanic church. You want to know what he said before he died? Just before he blew out his last breath, he said, Oh my, oh my, what have I done? What have I done? There is something very wrong. There is something very wrong. There is something very wrong. And then he blew out his last breath. And that is said for him. That is said for him. Now, can you see why I feel so much pity for this man? For this man, if he continues on this crusade, if he continues on this crusade, He's not fighting you and me, my brothers and sisters. He's fighting the Lord himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Lord, my prayer today is that you shine the light into Daniel Andrew's, Andrew's heart this morning. If he falls off steps again, let him fall and realize there's a God. I'm not trying to make fun of it, brothers and sisters, but this is serious. And we pray. They are all. They're all part of one, and I pray for them. Now, let's get into Acts chapter 12. Wow, that was a big intro, wasn't it? But this is nothing new. The war on Christianity is nothing new. Now as we follow through the book of Acts, we're going to see exactly the same thing. Just a different man. This man now is Herod. In Acts chapter 12 verse 1, he says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand and harassed some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. You see, this is nothing new under the sun. This man was playing politics. He was playing politics. And that's all these people are doing today. The politicians who's against Christianity is using Christianity to boost themselves in their politics. They look what is the flavor amongst the people. And if that flavor is against Christianity, they will use Christianity and come down upon Christianity. It's what this man did. Hear it. It was a political move to kill James. He saw it pleased the Jews. Have you noticed? And that's what they will do. Let me say to you that it will become tougher. You said it today, Sean. You said it today. It is going to become tougher on Christians. It is. And I I must say to you, I don't believe the church is ready. I don't believe the church is ready for persecution. I don't believe there's a lot of people in this place is not ready for persecution. It's so easy to stand up and say, I'll die for Christ, I'll die for Christ. But when persecution comes, what will you do? 
We saw a lot of people moving away from God in the lockdowns. They moved away from God because there's nobody who can hold their hand. There's no, you know, brothers or sisters. All of a sudden, they're all alone. They're on their own, and they say, my faith is challenged because I'm on my own. But you've got God. You can talk to Him. Yes. But you see, the thing is, the church is not ready. The church in the Western world is fast asleep. Let me say to you, brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not, the church in the Western world is weak. Is weak. We've got too much in this world, invested in this world. You will lose everything one day for Christ, will you? Will you are you ready to give everything up for Christ and go and sit in a jail? That's right. It's coming. It's coming to the church. Now look at verse 4. And by the way, I just want to throw it in here for those people, you know, who still are looking for apostles in our day and age. When James was killed, they didn't replace James. Have you noticed? There wasn't like when Judas Iscariot died, they had to get another apostle due. The question is, why did they not replace James? And it's just straightforward. When Judas Iscariot died, it was before Jesus Christ went to the cross. It was before the gospel message had to go to the world via the apostles. They needed the 12 apostles to take it out. Now Christ has already died. The apostles is out. They've went out. The gospel is going out. That is the, what the work of an apostle is, is to take a message to the world. They didn't have to replace James, so we do not have to have modern day apostles. I've preached that sermon again, and I will stand by that. You say to me, but wait a minute, preacher, it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, the fivefold ministry. Yes, I believe in the fivefold ministry, but two offices is the foundation of the church. There's three offices operating in live body form, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The others are the foundation. I'm not throwing them away, but here we find it. It says that James was not replaced. He was not replaced. There's no scripture verse here which says they did another draw for another apostle. I just thought I'd throw it in there. And I'm happy to discuss with you afterwards. Verse 4. So when he had arrested him, this is now Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him in intent to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to him, uh, to God for him by the church. You know, I find it fascinating. Normally they just put two guards on a person, one at the door and they chain one person to you. That's normally what they do, but not this time around. They put four people on him. Why? Because before he was already led out of, out of jail, wasn't he? He escaped already, according to them. And they go, now, now we're going to put four of these soldiers. They actually put chains on both of his hands now. Two soldiers next to him and two standing at the door. Herod wasn't going to let this guy get out. He did it. And he wanted to wait until Passover was over because he didn't know there were so many people coming to Jerusalem. He didn't want an, a riot happening. He didn't know how the people were going to respond. So he was going to wait till after Passover. But the most important part for me in this place is the constant prayer that went out. You see what happens here? You remember what I said? There's 
three ways of doing, you know, reacting to a war. The first one is to play the victim card. Second one is to fight. And the third one is to trust and wait upon God. What did the church do? As soon as they killed James, as soon as they caught Peter, did they walk outside of the palace of Herod with all of their things and shout, Hey Herod! Hey Herod! Hey Herod! Hey Herod! Did they do that? They would have been killed. But not only that, I mean, it was Passover. It was the great time for them to stir up the crowd, to get Peter released, isn't it? No, no, brothers and sisters. They use the most wonderful and most powerful weapon that you can have, and that is prayer. They prayed. They said, Lord, please help us. Constant prayer. The word that is used there for constant is a medical term. It means that you stretch a muscle to its extent. They really prayed fervently. Day and night they prayed. And verse 6, and when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. I find this fascinating. This, by the way, happened, really. He bound two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. Don't you find this fascinating? I sometimes sit there and I go, It is dark. A light comes on. Why didn't these guards wake up? And then the chains fell off his hands. Oh, surely, you know, they must be really, really deep sleepers. <laughs> Far away, dreaming of a, 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 a beach somewhere. And then he stood up, and there's this kerfuffle going on for him putting on his clothes. Nothing happened. You see, wait on God, brothers and sisters, because he's the miracle maker. So in verse 9, he went out and followed him. And didn't know that it was done by an angel was real. But though he was seeing a vision, he thought, I'm seeing a vision now. Or I'm dreaming. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city. It's not a small gate, by the way. Which opened to them on its own accord. I believe is that's, that's where they found remote controls, okay? The door, it just opened up. Think about this. This is unbelievable. And they went out and went down one street. That's the street's name, one street. They went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. You see what I mean? Now I know the Lord has delivered me. Who will deliver us as a church? The Lord will deliver us. The Lord will deliver us. Look, there's a time to say your say, and then there's a time to be quiet and trust on the Lord. What happened here? Back there, the church is praying. They could have gone in fight mode. They could have gone in victim mode. No, no, but they went in trust mode. They started trusting the Lord. I want to ask you, I mean, some of you are sitting in desperate troubles, maybe. Maybe relationships, maybe somebody online. I don't know. 
What mode are you in? Are you in fight mode or are you in victim mode? If you are in any one of those modes, get out of it. Go into prayer mode so that you can go into trust mode. I don't know where all these modes come from. So, I love this. In verse 12, so when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came in answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and did announce it that Peter was standing by the gate. Imagine this. She's so excited. She runs and says, hey guys, Peter is at the gate. They are praying away, please Lord, please open away. We trust you Lord. Rhoda comes in, she, she throws the prayer meeting out. Think about this. She goes in while they're in deep prayer. Come on, close your eyes, girl, sit down. No, no, she comes in, Peter is at the door. She didn't open the door. But they said to her, come on, you're beside yourself. And she just kept insisting that it was so. So they said, is, is it an angel maybe? Now Peter continued knocking, and when he opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning them with his hand to keep them silent, because you know what happens with Pentecostal churches, don't you? Hallelujah! Oh, Praise the Lord! <laughs> I can just imagine, you know, we're praying, and here the Lord gives you answer on prayer. What will we do? We are so glad. Thank you, Lord. No. Is that you when the Lord answers your prayer? No, I'm excited. They were astonished. But Peter says to them, no, keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. And I come back to what I'm trying to say today. You see, he could have gone into the victim mode. Hey, brothers, let's sit around and let me tell you every single thing they've done to me. They've hit me. They spat on me. I was sleeping next to a stinking soldier. They chained me to the soldier. Man, you should have seen the hair on his arms. He's so sweaty the whole time. When he sweats, it comes on me. It's so discomfort. And this guy on this side, you must smell his breath, man. When he opens up his mouth, you know, they were so hard to me. Those chains were so... He wasn't in the victim mode. He could have gone in the fight mode. He could have said, come on, let us pray and let God make us militant and take on this Herod and his, who does he think he is? I come to you in the name of Jesus. That's what a lot of people do. They use the name of Jesus as a magic wand. It doesn't work that way. No, no. He used wisdom and see that he departed now. Some people say that Peter ran away. No, no, he didn't run away. He used wisdom of God. He departed. In verse 18, then, as soon as it was day, there were a small stir amongst the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. You see, Herod was still continuing on with this war. He wanted to kill Peter, but now Peter wasn't there. And the way that it is with those soldiers, if you, if you were caught like that, they kill you. Four men died that day because of the bad heart of Herod. Herod should have said, how can this happen? He should have investigated this. It is a miracle that this man came away and they didn't even know about it. 
It's a miracle. Now, let's finish today. I want to show you this now. Remember what I said, there's a war and I feel pity for these people. Now, here it is still on the scene here. He, when he had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, these are two cities down on the coastland, but they came to him with one accord, and having made him blessed as the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. This is all politics. Have you seen what politics can do? They must have bribed this guy. He was the king's personal aid. So these two cities knew they were in trouble. They needed to get supplies. They needed to get supplies from the king. So they start playing with this man. And they must have, you know, do something to get his favor so that he can whisper in the king's ear. And this is all happening now. So as a said day, Herod, arrayed in a royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. So here comes the king. He talks to them all. And the people kept shouting, the voice of God and not of man. The voice of God and not of man. I'm a Dan Andrews follower and not anyone else. I'm just joking. But this is it, brothers and sisters. They gave this man accolades. They says, oh, that's the voice of God. Why did they do it? I know why they do it. They didn't want to have empty bellies. You see, they were after the food. This man, why did he accept it? Because he put on his royal apparel. He wanted to be known as the man. I'm the man. And he was the man for them. Then immediately, the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. This is very important words for you and for me, brothers and sisters. I, uh, I thank my brother for the praise this morning. But I, I will say that we are men of God, mighty men, brother. I don't think mighty men yet, but we give God all the glory this morning. And I believe my brother Oral will do that. And I believe my brother's heart is open to that. We always give glory to God. Yes? This man did not give glory to God. You see, he, they were shouting and he didn't correct them. He didn't stop them. He's sitting there in his royal garment. And as he was eaten, uh, and he was eaten by worms and died, but the word of God grew and multiplied. So I started off the sermon saying there's a war on Christianity, and I showed you the premier of this state's face. And he's out. I mean, it is fact. I've got news for him. He's going to lose. He's going to lose. It's not because I say so. It's because I know so. And here is a great example. Because... He died. He did not give glory to God. He was eaten by worms and died. But, sharp contrast, the word of God grew and multiplied. They tried to kill Christianity in China. They couldn't do it. I want to say, if they're going to come against the church hard, the church will grow stronger. The church in the West is now weak. If you want to make the church in the West strong, come against the church. I'm not calling you out. God is already doing that. <clears throat> but there's got to be a time that the church in the West needs to wake up. The church needs to wake up. There's no more preaching against sin. It is a popular gospel they're preaching. They are playing politics with the politicians. That's what they are doing. They're not calling sin, sin. They are, they are making the church a social gathering to accompany every single person. They are playing politics. 
And this is what the politicians will do. They will play with the Christians until they get tired of this little toy which is called Christians, and then they're going to come down hard on them. The Bible says that. It's written in Revelation. And here is it, brothers and sisters. And by the way, I've seen and heard some people saying that he was sitting on the throne there and all of a sudden all of these gory worms started eating him in front of him. That's not what's happened. There's a man, Joseph is his historian, he wrote about exactly the same thing. This king started getting pain on the throne on his stomach. Cruciating pains. Ah, really bad pains. And for five days, for five days King Herod had these pains. In fact, it was worms eating him from his stomach out. So he died. So it's not all of a sudden all these worms coming out. He did die. Worms did eat him up on his stomach. And he died a horrible death. And Barnabas and Saul, they returned from Jerusalem and went and fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. By the way, this is the last time we read of Peter. The last time. We're going to see a small appearances of him later in the book of Acts. And then we read these letters. Now the focus is going on Paul. And this is where the gospel came to us. I want to read you two scripture verses because I want to talk to your heart still about this. You know, these people are making war against us. And we can easily make them our enemy. But Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 43, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, look at this, love your enemies. That's tough, isn't it? It's not an easy thing. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless them. Do good to those who hate you. Do good. Pray to those who spitefully use and persecute you. Pray for them. It's not my words, church. It's Jesus' words. If somebody do you in, if somebody gossip, if somebody fight with you, do what he says. Just do what he says. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We need to remember that our wrestle is not against flesh and bone. We need to remember that. We need to remember Ephesians 4, 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. These are only faces. The enemy is the devil behind them but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness, of this a spiritual host, and wicked and heavenly places. Now, I know it's tough saying we need to love our enemies. Because a lot of people can't do it. Because love for them is an emotion. Is an emotion. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, love is not an emotion. It's a decision. You decide whether you love somebody or not. You know, we do marriage counseling with uh, husbands and wives, and one of the things they always sit down with us and say, oh, we just fell out of love. Have you heard that one? We were so in love, but then we fell out of love. We're not in love. No, I say, well, how did that happen? You just were walking lovely, lovely one day, and oops, fell out of love. doesn't happen that way. No, no. You chose not to love that person anymore. It's a choice. Same with hate. So, brothers and sisters, there is a war on us, but let's pray for these people who war against us. If you're going to come to me and say, are we going to march? I'm not a marcher. I march for Christ when I preach the gospel. 
I may disappoint you this morning, but I'd much rather go with my brother and stand and talk to one person about and take that time that I would have been marching and stand with that brother or that one person and, and share the gospel with them. That, I'll do that marching. Now I know, I know again, and I'm ready for that. There's a lot of people online, they will disagree with it. And I say, bless your heart, you may disagree. I just preach what's in front of me. Amen. Heavenly Father, we worship and we praise you, Lord. Father, this is not an easy topic. Because in war, there's always people that get hurt. There's people who die, and there's people who are deceived. There are those who think they are victors, but there's never victory in war. Although, Father, you allowed it in the Old Testament, but always with purpose. But, Father, this war that's against the church, we want to pray against it. We want to pray against what this government of this state is doing, and, and soon other states will follow. Lord, we can't run out of Victoria thinking, it's no, it's going to follow all over the world. The time is now. But, Father, we do want to pray that you help us to stray trustful, to have faith in you, to have hope in you. Father, we do want to pray for our enemy and our enemies, Father. Father, I do want to pray today for this man called Dan Andrews, Father. I don't know him personal. I, I look at him, Father. I must say, if on a personal note, I dislike what he's doing. But, Father, I pray for his soul. 